0: When I was going through my divorce, I wanted things easy, and I didn't want to decimate my emergency fund, so I got a loan. When I started my MBA, I wanted a little more flexibility with my finances, so I took a small student loan. Sometimes we forget that a loan can help us as we start over or move on to the next phase of our lives.
1: Many people need debt to get started in life immigrants, those from a lower socioeconomic status, and people who need to get out of a toxic situation can all benefit from using debt to better their circumstances. Sometimes a little bit of debt can go a long way toward helping you meet your financial goals and get out of a bad situation. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at different scenarios in which it makes sense to take out loans. Welcome to It Doesn't Make Sense, where even when you're doing money wrong, you're still doing it right.
0: Season one is all about digging into debt. Is it a moral failing? Or can some debt actually be a tool for a better life? We're gonna cover all the angles. Not everyone has the resources to just do something. But it's common in the personal finance space and other areas of our life to hear that if you don't like something to just do something about it. But it's not always that simple.
1: It's that whole idea of like don't like where you live, just move. That may not be possible for everyone. And maybe it's the articles that I've been reading a lot lately or the last couple of years, but there's a lot of complaints, I guess, lack of a better term. Like California is so expensive. New York is so expensive. Why don't you just move? It's not that simple. If it were that simple, people would be going to different cities that have a lower cost of living. It costs money to move. There are other resources that you may not have if you move to another place.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that's really interesting, because I've chosen to move back to Idaho. I love living here now. I have a good community now. But I was gone for 17 years. And I would not personally have chosen to come back, even though it's a low cost of living area. And it's the geo arbitragers dream. Here, Well, except for the housing, which is out of control now. But the time I moved here, it was the geo arbitrageurs dream. But the only reason I moved here is because I have family here and I needed help taking care of my son after my divorce. And so part of that, too, is it's always just about like low cost. If most of your support system lives in Chicago, what's going to happen when you move to this low cost of living area? And you need to pay for childcare, or you need help with other aspects of your life that you're not going to get. So it's important to think about that, too.
1: I'm going to go to side tangent rant. Yes. And apologies in advance. But I'm just going to first define what geo arbitrage means. So it is a, in my opinion, a fancy term for someone, a couple, a group of people, individuals, whoever, who decide to move to a place or travel to a place based on the cost. And so, for example, let's say you move from California to Florida. Florida, in general, depending on which area in the state, has a lower cost of living compared to California, right? Part of it is housing. Groceries are, I believe, a lot cheaper, and you're not paying state taxes, which can be a fairly big benefit for many people. There may be people in California who are going to say, you know what? I'm going to go to Florida. Housing's cheap. I can have a home base there, I can work wherever I want. I can save up money to travel anywhere else. Or there are many people who decide to move overseas. A lot of people I know have gone to China, to countries in Southeast Asia because the cost of living is significantly cheaper. And so, yes, it's a great benefit. But like I said earlier, it costs money to move. I was lucky when I moved to China. I lived there for almost a decade. Was I was young. I had barely any student loan debt. I had money in my savings account and I was paid fairly quickly when I went there. So my paycheck came within, I think, one or two weeks of me arriving so that I was able to afford the basics. And I also got housing on top of that. It also depends on your education, which I know we're going to talk about really briefly next. So if you have a college or university degree, your chances of being able to move around is a lot easier. It could be because if you live, let's say you move overseas like I did, most jobs will require you to have a college degree or some sort of higher education sort of certification. If you're looking to get a remote job in most places, if you do work with a company that offers this benefit, you may most likely need a bachelor's degree. So there's a lot of things to consider in terms of that. To say just move is pretty ignorant. I'm going to go there. It's pretty ignorant. Yeah, and
0: and even if you're moving for a lower cost of living, how do you know you're going to have a job there? And things like, you know, trying to escape an abusive marriage. Well, just leave. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of things you need to have in place. Now, I was lucky my divorce was not because of Any sort of abusive situation, I am still good friends with my ex and I like him a lot as a person, but not everybody has that good opportunity. And sometimes when you're trying to leave an abusive marriage, if you have been cut off from friends and family, if you don't have access to the financial resources, like just picking up and leaving is not that easy, especially if you don't have access, maybe you don't have access to a car. Maybe you don't have access to any sort of financial resources. Maybe you have kids. How are you going to take care of the kids if you just leave? It's not that easy. And you usually need plans in place and you need to try and keep them secret because once an abusive spouse realizes that you're trying to leave, a lot of the time that's when you are in the most danger of your life or your kids' lives. And so it's really important to just address the fact that none of this is that
1: easy. Even if your situation's, and I'm going to air call this fine, and let's say you want to just improve your financial situation, maybe you feel like there aren't as many opportunities where you live. Thinking that you can just get an education and get a better job is also, there's a lot of nuance to that as well. Because let's say, for example, you live in a rural area, even if say you get a bachelor's degree or you get a bunch of certifications, what if there are no jobs beyond, gosh, I'm going to apologize for sounding so stereotypical right now, but like farming, right? Or retail jobs, or you know, things like that, right? I'm just saying like, it depends on where you live. Or let's say you do get a job, but then the company moves away. There are lots of towns in the US and people I know who've worked in some pretty great corporate jobs, but the companies decided to pack up and leave. And so there's a lot of things that we cannot control. Just to say, you know, as an individual that you can be responsible for something is it's really difficult to just say, like, yeah, go buck up and do something like that. It's not always the case where it can happen.
0: Yeah, And let's take a look at some of the very real costs that we're talking about here. The average cost to move across the country when you have two to three bedrooms is between $3,000 and $9,500, depending on the moving services and other factors. But you're looking at just for a cross country move, you're looking at $3,000. I paid for a full-service move across town a couple summers ago, and that cost me $6,000. But that was a full-service move. They packed, they came in, they packed everything up for me, then they moved it, they stored it because I couldn't get it to my place. So there was a whole lot of stuff that went from that, and I was lucky that I was able to afford that $6,000. But a lot of people can't just wake up one morning and drop between $3,000 and $9,000 on a
1: move. Yeah, and some of these moving costs may not even be to hire movers or moving trucks. It could be... Things that you need to buy in your new apartment or your new house just to kind of get settled in. If, for example, if you're leaving an abusive marriage and you're just leaving with the clothes in your back or you and your children just leaving with the clothes in your back, if you have nothing, then getting set up might mean trying to buy furniture, trying to get bedsheets, plates, things like that. That all factors into the cost of moving. I remember when my husband and I moved from China to the US, we're talking about to ship Furniture from China to the U.S. So we we bought furniture. We we tried to save money by going on Facebook Marketplace, but those are there's still costs to furnish an entire apartment. So that's just an example.
0: And speaking of leaving an abusive marriage, on average, divorce lawyers cost about two hundred and seventy dollars per hour, and a total average cost of eleven thousand three hundred dollars to get through a full service divorce. And that's just the basics. I was fortunate in that my ex and I, once again, I keep having to talk about how I am fortunate because I am. I am fortunate. My ex and I figured everything out ahead of time. We had everything divided. We had all of our assets divided by the time I left Philadelphia. All we had to do was sit down with my cousin who was a lawyer and say, this is what we want. Make the legalese and then pay the $200 at the time filing fee. And that was it because we had both agreed. But if you have to sit down, if you have to go to trial and you have to work out custody and you have to work out all of these things with the help of a lawyer... Oh man, those costs, they add up fast. I know people who pay tens of thousands of dollars because they're dealing with a narcissistic abusive ex who just keeps bringing them back,
1: bringing them back, bringing them
0: back. That's an issue too.
1: I just want to point out that you, you, again, were very lucky, I guess you can say that you had the help of a a family member who was a lawyer. So you didn't have to, to pay that. For those who don't know, most attorneys or lawyers charge by the hour simply because of of the different cases that they work on, they don't know what can come up. Maybe there's paperwork that's found later on and they have to work on it. If you and your ex-spouse are now contesting different aspects, like maybe alimony, child support, one of your spouses was hiding money and you have to hire someone called a forensic accountant to dig up all of the hidden money, Those obviously are a lot more work for divorce lawyers or just attorneys in general. And so that's most likely why they charge per hour. So the cost of $11,300 seems really high, but it's also not if you think about the amount of hours divorce lawyers have to put into it if they're trying to mediate a conversation between you and your ex-spouse if they're trying to really figure out what's going on with some documents right if you have to go to court like Miranda said those are all hours that they have to put into to present your case you know this is sort of another side tangent is if let's say you and your spouse had a joint account or you are in a financially abusive marriage and you're trying to get out and your spouse was one who had their name on everything you may not have access to any of that cash while you're going through these divorce proceedings. Again, I am not a lawyer, so that may or may not be the case. But just think about it. There are things that can happen that you may not even think would happen during a divorce proceeding, even if you're a spouse and you were fine. I mean, I've heard cases where ex-spouses or ex-couples had a joint account and then the husband drained it. So having
0: access to debt can make a lot of sense. And there are other costs as well. uh, When we talk about immigrating to the U.S., If you are coming to the United States, that cost can be anywhere between $1,200 to $8,000 on average, depending on any number of factors, whether you need an immigration lawyer, where you're immigrating to, uh, how long you hope to stay, what you need to set up your house. And there's a lot of costs. And depending on your circumstances, you may need some other help as you get started.
1: So in my family situation, when my parents and my sister and I, we immigrated to Canada, we were very lucky. And I I think we keep using this word a lot, but it's true. We were lucky. We had a distant family member who let us stay in their place for about a month while we found somewhere to live so we found somewhere to rent and then my parents eventually bought a house living expenses can be really really high depending on where you move and especially if you're trying to find somewhere to live very quickly and you don't have the resources like my parents had in terms of finding distant family member maybe you're staying hotels maybe you're staying in airbnbs there are also businesses that may take advantage of the fact that you're an immigrant and you don't have many resources here you don't have a good credit score or a credit history at all. And so interest rates may go up. You may have little choice to to search for different places to live, buy a car, all those things that can really increase that cost when someone is immigrating to the US.
0: The same goes for if you are planning on emigrating out of the US. We talked a little bit about folks that we know who move to places like Portugal or somewhere in South America. And that requires a lot of cash, too. A lot of folks save up for it or make these plans. But if something happens and you decide that now is the time, maybe using a little bit of
1: debt makes sense. We have talked about this in a previous episode. Student loan debt is quite uh, quite a crisis, so to speak, and it partially because costs for college is quite high. The average cost of an in-state tuition at a four-year public college is 9670 a year, which sounds weird. It seems quite low, but this is, again, in-state at a public college. It could cost more if you go out of state, if you're in a private college, and it also depends on the degree that you are pursuing.
0: Make sure that you listen to our episode about student loan debt. I don't want to go into more detail on that since we like, really drilled down So make sure you listen to our episode on student loan debt. And let's transition to businesses, right? Businesses are expensive in a lot of ways. It's common for business owners to spend about $40,000 in their first year, especially if what they're doing requires an actual premises or goods or they're manufacturing or selling goods or any number of things. Sarah and I are fortunate that the business that we run has pretty low overhead. I didn't have to spend a whole lot to get started. I just needed to have access to the internet and a laptop because I'm a freelance writer and a podcaster. And as I expanded to include podcasting, I had to buy some podcast equipment, but luckily that's also fairly inexpensive. So most of what I have to do with my business is low cost, but a lot of people aren't that lucky. You could spend thousands of dollars and be borrowing from everybody to get your business off the ground, depending on what it is.
1: Yeah, and some of the things that I know that I don't necessarily have to pay for it are different types of business licenses. So I'm really lucky that I, I do have an LLC, I have professionals that I've hired in place to make sure that everything is legit. But again, it depends on the business. If you need to get additional licenses, you got to figure out like the tax stuff, you might have to hire an attorney to get everything set up. If let's say you're opening a new branch in another state. So now it kind of get, can get complicated. So $40,000 can be can be expected, um, I guess you can say. And so even if you're not in a business or you're not trying to open a business, even getting a new job can cost you, especially if you have to buy uniforms or professional clothes or even some sort of reliable transportation to work. Maybe you're buying a car. Now, I remember when I first started teaching, I know I still look super young. (laughs) Many people have commented, I look super young. One of the ways that I really felt insecure in my in my teaching career initially was when I first graduated when I was about 23, I still looked like I was 18. And so I was teaching high school at the time, very briefly, before I went overseas, going into a, a school where I looked in, like in my teens and I'm teaching kids in their teens, I really felt like I had to up the game, so to speak, in terms of my professional clothes. So I spent a lot of money on like power suits. <laughs> Like high heels, things like that. For many of you women or people who really love clothes out there, um, you know that this type of stuff isn't cheap. And if you are buying a new car, even if you're, let's say, taking public transportation, if that is an additional expense that you didn't have to spend before, that's going to increase your budget. And that's something that that people will need to take into consideration, especially if, let's say, they're not getting a paycheck for their first month. Or I know in my case, one of my jobs overseas, I didn't get paid for six weeks. That can be really, really difficult if you are going to be relying on that paycheck maybe as soon as possible in order to pay for some of your living expenses.
0: And even when my son started work, he worked for a local retail thrift store, but he was working in the in the warehouse. He needed like steel toe boots. He needed <laughs> nice thick gloves to protect his hands. And during the winter, he needed a thick jacket for when he was out and about. And he was lucky enough to have a mom who was like, you're doing this for the good of yourself and your betterment, so I will buy these things for you. It cost us $400 to get all of the things that he needed to properly... And yeah, I went ahead and splurged a little bit on higher quality items. We probably could have gotten away with $200. We would have had to buy stuff again in the, in another... Six to eight months. But I'm going to include in our show notes, I'm going to include a link to my favorite author. One of my favorite authors is Terry Pratchett. In one of the books, he has Commander Vime's Economic Theory of Boots. And he talks about Mm. the fact that a poor person can spend $10 and buy boots, but they're going to have to buy more boots very soon. And a rich person can afford to spend more money and buy better boots. And in the end, the poor person ends up spending more money on boots than the rich person ever does because you can afford quality. So one of the things I did was I went ahead and upped in the quality. And more than a year that my son was working this job in the warehouse, we didn't have to replace any of his workwear because I went ahead and sprung for the most expensive stuff. While some of his coworkers made two or three subsequent purchases during that same time period because they couldn't afford the more quality things. So that's something to think about, too is just the fact that getting started in a lot of jobs and if you know we talk about this too a lot with the homeless or whatever and people are just like well you're homeless just get a job it's like okay well you've got to be able to pay for somebody to give you a haircut and trim your beard you've got to be able to pay for for clothes that you can wear to the interview you've got to be like these
1: things cost money that you don't have I was just thinking and and this is pretty present in my life i have a lot of family members and friends who are going through some pretty big health scares there's a particular friend that i'm thinking of right now who actually had to quit their job for health reasons like that the stress actually at their job was too much the pressure that they were putting on themselves and sort of the the responsibilities they had was actually too much stress for them the doctor was like if you continue this job you will you will die that was the warning from the doctor the person had to quit They had a bunch of medical debt as well because of related surgeries and things like that. If you're looking for a fresh start, right, trying to get a new job, if you are thinking about the stress, the commute, how it's going to affect your health, plus can I actually afford this job? Is this is the pay enough for me to be able to afford rent and all of that? You have to think about the things that you need to to buy in order to get that fresh start too and so like if you are still paying your bills let's say you drained your emergency fund and now that you maybe you may have to train for a new job to find something quote unquote less stressful those are all things that are associated with and i'm going to like generalize like startup costs to to change your life for sure so
0: All of these things that we've talked about cost money. So when you are looking for a fresh start, whether it's moving for a job, getting out of a marriage, moving to a new country or starting a business, you need cash. And sometimes getting a loan is one of the best ways to go about that, even if you have some money saved.
1: I guess the eternal question, or at least we're going to explore this for the duration of this episode is, does it make sense to use debt when you are getting a fresh start? And like we've discussed a little bit earlier, sometimes you don't have much of an option when it comes to taking out a loan or not taking out a loan, especially if you don't have the money and you need to get out. Yeah. And it's
0: kind of like I have a friend who was recently widowed and she's going to be fine. She doesn't have to. She's not going to have to borrow money or anything. But with the life insurance payout, she has a whole bunch of people coming at her saying, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And it's very overwhelming for her. So what I said was, no, just let it sit for a minute. I said, step one, what do you need in your bank account to cover your bills? Let's not even worry about investments right now. Let's just start with what do you need in your bank account to cover your bills for the next two months? Let's start there. And then let's take a look at upcoming bills. And that's kind of how sometimes you need to look at this debt and say, okay, I need this lump sum now so that I can move forward with the next phase so I can move so I can get some clothes to start a new job so I can start this new business so I can move on with my life after divorce, whatever it is. So when we're barring for a new start though, there are some things to keep in mind as you move forward. Let's talk about some of those, Sarah. What are some of the things we need to keep in mind as we're moving forward with our debt?
1: One of the first things really to consider is what are your options in terms of loans? Are you able to get a low interest rate or what kind of interest rate can you get? Or can you even get the elusive 0% interest rate? I know we talked about this very briefly in a previous episode. We talked about the 0% introductory APR on a credit card. If you have excellent credit where you can access a 0% interest rate for maybe like 15 to 18 months, depending on the card. And so you can just slap some purchases on it. And then as long as you keep making the minimum payments or whatever the terms are for the credit card issuer, then you should be fine for that introductory period. You can give yourself a little bit of breathing room. That's one option.
0: Yeah, and if you can get better terms and a higher amount, that makes a lot of sense. Last time I got a personal loan, wasn't an amazing interest rate. I was not the 6 to 7% range. It was better than me having to turn to a credit card and it worked out for me. And in some cases, you may not be able to get that low of a rate. We are currently in an environment where rates are higher than they have been for several years. So it does make sense to shop around and see if you can get the best possible rate. And in some cases, you may just have to suck it up and get what you can get if you need the debt which sucks, that's the, the way our entire system is set up sucks, my little side rant. But for those of us who are stuck in it and have to try and do what we can to move forward, go to some different sites, get some comparisons, get some quotes so that you can compare and get the best combination of rate plus term length plus amount, because those are things to consider as well. Sometimes it's not just about the rate. Sometimes it's about, okay, if I can pay a slightly higher rate, I can get a larger amount and a longer term. So now I am paying less each month for that breathing room, and then I can move forward.
1: I just want to add that if you are someone who's new to the country, you've just moved here, or let's say you have moved out of your parents' house, or it was not a good situation, and you have no to very, very limited credit history, as in if someone tries to pull up your credit report, there's like nothing on it, then your choices are going to be a lot more limited. So Unfortunately, maybe your interest rate might be much, much higher compared to someone who has good credit. If that's your situation, that's your situation. And in that case, I would consider really thinking very, very carefully about how much you need to borrow. If there is a way to borrow a lower amount, if let's say you're doing a fixed installment loan and you only need, let's say, several thousand dollars, then just borrow several thousand dollars. Maybe down the line, if you need more, you can just borrow more. Or if you can get something like a line of credit, I know Miranda has talked about using a line of credit before. A line of credit is great is because you can borrow up to a certain limit, but you don't have to borrow the entire limit that you are able to get. So those are some options to think about too, is even if you don't have good credit, there are ways to help, I guess you can say like minimize the impact of that loan as much as possible.
0: And as you're considering this and thinking about how much you're going to borrow, make sure that you are comfortable with that debt. Part of this that's hard is it is hard for us to be comfortable with debt. In some cases, you might need debt, and so you may have to force yourself to become a little more comfortable. But really think about, like, especially if you have some savings, really think about, okay, how comfortable am I with this? What are my goals? We have a really great story from Adrienne uh, at, at Tailored Wealthsaver who talks about choosing to go with debt because that's what she was comfortable with rather than drawing down her emergency fund to cover some things after her divorce.
2: Last year, once my divorce was finalized and actually going through the divorce, I made a decision to actually leverage 0% interest rate on a credit card so that I could be able to afford different expenses that were coming up, such as starting over, having to get a new bedroom set, having to get different little items around a home that you don't really think about um, when you are getting separated from a spouse. And because that money was not necessarily set aside from that, I didn't want to pull from my savings account which i could have but i didn't want to do that because just in case any type of emergency would have occurred then that is something that i wouldn't have been able to just lean on like i would prefer to do leveraging that zero percent interest rate helped me with a couple of things It helped me free up money that otherwise would not have been free. It would have been tied up purchasing a brand new mattress, purchasing a new bedroom set, everything of the sort. Um, And I preferred not to get some of those things from Facebook Marketplace just because I wanted it to be something of starting over. Something for me that I had went through a lot mentally. I was working on healing from a marriage that did not last and I wanted to have something new, not used. So leveraging the debt allowed me to free up the money. And it also allowed me to actually have some peace of mind because I wasn't worried about if my emergency savings account would be able to be enough for me.
1: What I love about that is it really sounded like Adrian thought it through in terms of like her comfort level and what she wanted to keep in her emergency fund, speaking of leaving some money aside, think about can you make more money leaving some of your assets in the market? So let's say you have invested money in the stock market in your 401k, whichever type of account that you have, and you are looking to start over. Now, there are some 401ks in which you can take out a loan. And that's great if if that's what you decide to do. But before doing that, think about whether or not that that's really going to benefit you in terms of the long run. Is it far better for you to leave money in the market because it earns a much higher rate if you can get, let's say, a lower interest rate for your personal loan or no, you decide actually, I'd rather pull it out and then I'll think about the retirement aspect later or the investment aspect later.
0: That's a really good point. And that's one of the big things for me. Uh, As as we go through talking about debt, as we go through this season talking about debt, you're going to hear from me a lot (laughs) that I would much rather just leave most of my money in the market. And I do sell some assets. We talked about this during the personal loan, one where I got a personal loan, covered my trip to China. And then when I got back, I sold some assets to pay off the loan. And so. I do work with it that way, but it is important to think about where... Is my money working for me? Does it make sense to sell some of the assets and get some debt? And along with that, that goes back to what Adrienne talked about with her emergency fund. Think about, do you have an emergency fund? Do you want to take everything out of the emergency fund? What happens when you have an emergency later? We never know what's going to happen in life. And so sometimes that combination of, okay, I'm going to use a little bit from my savings, a little bit from my emergency fund, plus a little bit of debt to give me a little more room and breathing space. And then when things are settled, then I can start thinking about how tackling that debt a little bit faster.
1: I feel like emergency funds almost gets like a bad rap in terms of it's just like far off concept in terms of like, oh, I'll never have an emergency. It's just money that like I'm sticking in here for some random event that may or may not happen. And it's true. It may not happen, you may not lose your job, you may not have medical debt, you may not have a roof that you need to replace. But it is there just in case. And especially if you're starting over and you have no idea what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months. Maybe, I don't know, let's say your son needs new school uniforms and your ex-husband refuses to buy them. And now you need money to buy, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of uniforms. That money is there. Or let's say your dentist bill comes in a little bit higher than you thought. And you're really just trying to juggle your loans and all of that. That can come out of emergency fund. You can replenish it later. It's really important when you're starting over. And I'm, I'm thinking of situations where I've really started over is you have to take care of yourself now. It's important to think about the future, but if you're starting over, you have to think about yourself now. And it's okay to think about yourself now. And an emergency fund is that piece where you are thinking about yourself now. Even if, let's say, you don't need that emergency fund or the money from that for the next couple of months, it's still a very present situation that you are considering.
0: And don't forget that there might be other resources that you can access as well to help you as you're moving through this. So it doesn't always have to rely entirely on debt. Some things to think about include, especially if you are in a state of crisis or trying to escape an abusive situation, domestic violence centers, programs for youth who have been kicked out of their homes, these kinds of places can help you get on your feet or provide you with resources or give you a little bit of help so that you can reduce how much you are spending or how much you are borrowing so that you can get on your feet. So don't forget to use this debt in conjunction with other resources that might be available. Like I said, domestic violence centers, unemployment benefits. If you've been laid off and you're looking for a job, apply for unemployment benefits today. Just do it, just apply for those benefits, get those going as soon as possible community resources through nonprofits and government agencies like your food bank, secondhand thrift stores, housing agencies, those kinds of things. And they often have resources that you can go to as well. So for instance, if you go to like a housing agency, they might be able to help you also find out where you can get relief for help paying your utility bill. And so look for those places in your community where you can go in and talk to somebody who can direct you to resources. And this is especially important if you don't have access to the internet, not everybody does, or if you have limited access to be able to fill out applications online, being able to do all of that and go in to these community resources can be very helpful. And don't forget about family and friends. Sometimes in your venture, if you have a good network, that can be helpful. Not everybody has that. But we do have a great story from Eric Brotman, the founder of B- financial services. He has a story about pulling from various different places, including family and friends, to fund his business
3: and get his business off the ground. In 2003, I was 31 years old and really didn't have uh, very many assets. I had a small home, but essentially nothing else. I was kind of starting over. And of course, I wanted to start a business and went to various traditional banks to try and get lending. And none of the banks would even talk to me. And I borrowed from credit cards, which, as we all know, is kind of a disaster, but I had to do what I had to do. I borrowed against my home. I borrowed against my mom's home, which she was generous enough to let me do. And when you borrow from mom, you have to keep a good line of credit there. But also, the thing that really pushed me over the top was being able to borrow from a life insurance policy that had been bought for me when I was 14 years old. So I was able to utilize the cash as collateral borrow against the life insurance policy, use that to start a company, and essentially that little bit of money that was in a life insurance policy from when I was a kid wound up being a huge difference maker for me.
1: So even if you're not starting a business, relying on resources is really great. Two other ones that I would suggest people maybe go look is your local library. So I know, Miranda, you talked about applying online to things. You can go to the library and access the internet from there. You can ask librarians to see if there are community resources that they can offer you. I think some libraries, again, it depends on your location, offer help with citizenship issues. Like there's a lot of places where they do ESOL classes. So English as a second or other language classes. Another resource that this one's really dependent cover level is there are lots of churches around, a lot of religious organizations that do have food banks that have different support groups that you can reach out to. So if let's say you do already go to a church and you want to speak to your pastor or priest or someone that you trust within that church for different resources, you can. There are lots and lots of resources in terms of that you can access.
0: So as you're going through this, put that as part of your efforts to put together a plan. When you're doing this, there's a good chance that as you're starting over, as you're moving to the next stage of your life, you're going to need to pull from different areas and use different strategies. And that, in- that can include debt. It can include community resources. It can include your network of family and friends and it can include your savings. There are many things that you might have to combine together to make this work, and that's okay. And it's okay to to pull these strategies in, and it's okay to use debt as one of the strategies. Just make sure that once you have that breathing room, once you are starting to get established, you start taking a step back and saying, okay, what's the next step in tackling this?
1: If you're overwhelmed with strategies or even where to start in terms of debt, There are quite a few nonprofit agencies that can help you manage the debt or help you look at what's going on and come up with sort of a strategy in terms of how you can tackle it. And so I do want to just put like a super big asterisk here or big caveat is to be really, 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 like really careful who you decide to work with because there are places that call themselves debt settlement companies or debt management companies and some of them may not actually work in your best interest. Some of them may charge you fees promising you a lot of things and don't actually follow through their promises or leave you in a worse financial situation. So we will try to leave some links in the show notes if you're interested in looking up what debt management companies are and we'll try to find ones that we believe are pretty legitimate and that are going to help you. And so a lot of these places are mostly free or like super, super low cost so that you're not going to be overextending yourself financially if you're seeking this type of professional help. There are also lots of financial advisors, a lot Lot of financial counselors that do offer pro bono services if that's something you're interested in sometimes every once in a while I know people in our circle Miranda I believe they do that every once in a while just for the goodwill of I guess society to help people who may not be able to afford their services so if you're able to go online or, or whoever ask around and look for someone who is willing to offer you some pro bono hourly work or services then that's something else to consider it as well.
0: And as we're looking at resources available and plans to get ahead and plans to pay off your debt eventually, we do want to also share this story from Ashley of Budgets Made Easy, who talks about using credit cards in college to move forward as part of her educational efforts.
3: At the time that I was in college, you know, I didn't have family support. I did have my Current husband, we were not married at the time, we did live together and I was not able to live on campus and it was an hour and a half away. I was working part-time but as you can imagine driving over three hours a day I didn't make enough money to pay for that. I didn't make enough money for gas, food, my car payment, car insurance, my cell phone bill. Now I did have some money each semester left over from my student loans. You know I had to use a credit card and as soon as I graduated I had around $10,000 in debt from using the credit card to get me through school so that I could finish. Once I started my career as a police officer, it took me about six months to get that credit card paid off. Okay, Sarah, what are the takeaways? Some people need
1: debt to make any type of progress with their lives and finances. So we've talked a lot about different examples in which somebody might need to take out a loan or get into debt to start over or different situations. Another example is for those who cannot afford to go to college or even trade school. Debt is the only way for these folks to get the tools and training needed for a good job. So again, we talked about immigrants, people who are getting divorced, others who are moving out, moving on with their lives, getting a fresh start might need debt just to get the funds that they need to survive, right? Something that they need while they're positioning themselves for their next step.
0: Maybe you just want the convenience and flexibility of low cost debt. Either way, if you need access to capital, debt can be a viable way to move forward and get a fresh start. So to help you with this, we have a resource. It's called Borrowing Basics from the FDIC. There's a game that you can play to help you go through that. And there are also other resources with different concepts regarding debt, how to prepare for getting a loan, and other educational information that can help you.
1: I love games. I want to go play it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's play a game. Yeah, let's play a game. Another thing I want to point out, which is I believe another takeaway is that we talked a lot about the practical realities of debt. I want to point out that there is no shame in terms of using debt as a resource relying on a lender, right, because that's essentially kind of what you're doing when you're taking a loan is relying on a lender as a resource to help you. And that's something to really consider is like, here's family and friends, they may not help me. I don't have other resources. I don't have enough capital. A lender is a resource. And we talked a little bit about convenience fees before and all of that. And if if we can just frame debt around that in this type of situation or in in the types of situations where you do need a leg up, then I I hope it'll be a little bit easier mindset-wise to, to move forward with this decision and then figure out how you're gonna pay this down. If you wanna pay it down, as fast as possible, or at least on time. So
0: thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of It Doesn't Make Sense. You can find us at itdoesntmakesense.com. And you can also feel free to share this episode with folks. You can share it from our Substack, You can share it from Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Go listen, go subscribe, leave us a rating. It really helps us reach more people with our nuanced view of personal finance. So what can we expect next episode, Sarah?
1: Ooh, when am I favorite topics and, and I don't feel like I got as ranty as I did for this episode so maybe next episode I'm gonna like super ranty about it. We're gonna talk about are you racking up social debt? So whether it's buying Girl Scout cookies from your co-workers kids or inviting your parents to dinner just about everything we do in a social sense comes with a cost and it could add up to a social emotional and even financial deficit. Thanks for joining us on it doesn't make sense. The best way to support our nuanced approach to money is to share it with a friend. Subscribe to It Doesn't Make Sense on whatever podcast player you use. For resources and show notes, head to itdoesntmakesense.com. We also accept appreciation in the form of a refreshing beverage via Ko-Fi
0: or coffee, whatever. We don't care. We'll drink it. Just head to ko-fi.com slash itdoesntmakesense, no apostrophe, and provide us with a fortifying drink.